morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is wherever you are today. My name is Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Pete Johnson. Welcome, Pete. Hey, Ali. Uh, we keep having these very cool conversations about what's going on at the edge and IoT, and we'll continue that today with our new friend. Yeah, we're pleased to welcome Gita Chohan. She's the CTO of Deep Cloud, and she's going to help us take that edge discussion kind of to a next level by talking about what Deep Cloud does. It's very, a very, very interesting case study in, in pushing cloud to, to a new frontier, I think. So welcome, Gita. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, hi, Ali. Hi, Pete. I'm uh, very happy to be here on the podcast today. Great. Great. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. First off, if you can just tell us what, what Deep Cloud is and, and what, it's, what it does or what it's intended to do. Okay. So Deep Cloud AI, we are a decentralized cloud computing platform. We are uh, trying to democratize cloud computing for everyone so that uh, anybody in the world can share their access compute capacity on our cloud and application developers can rent that and run their applications. So you can think of us like a Airbnb version of Amazon Cloud. Uh, so That's a great anybody way to can share it. their, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, so what is the need for this? Are there developers who don't necessarily have access? Why would they want to use this? I guess I want to ask instead of say Amazon or Microsoft or, or their company's own private cloud. What's the use case where this starts looking attractive? Yes, so this uh, we have two models for this. One is the public cloud version, and another one is for the enterprise side. So first, I'll describe the public cloud version. So in the public cloud, the attractiveness is really to for the communities. So we are promoting buy local, use local. Uh, so if uh, we go out to a community, uh, so you know, not in the traditional centers where cloud is already present. So maybe in other communities like parts of South America, parts of Africa or other parts of the world where there are not very big data centers available. So there we are going to make cloud computing accessible to everybody. So at present, if you see, even if you take Amazon Cloud or Google Cloud or Microsoft, they have data centers worldwide, but they are in very few locations across the world. So if you take all of South America, everybody has their data centers only in Brazil. But what about other parts of South America? So we are trying to make it accessible to everybody. And we want to basically it's the sharing the wealth economy. So everybody's participatory economies, just like Airbnb, uh, we are going to enable people to share their compute resources. So that's the attractive angle for people who want to rent their computers on our cloud fabric. And for the application developers, they will have the added benefit, uh, especially for their IoT applications and decentralized applications where they need resources which are close to where uh, the actual applications are running or where the users are consuming them. So those scenarios are today not fulfilled by a central cloud. So those will be the sweet spot applications that will benefit from running on our cloud. Interesting. Pete, I feel like we had a guest on recently that was talking about the latency problems if yeah, you're in, yeah. say, Africa or South America, and that because the data centers are so far away that that it becomes harder to use cloud. I can't remember who that was. Yeah, latency becomes the enemy for a lot of these things, right? That if you're going to have decent performance, it's the speed of light is the speed of light is the speed of light, right? And if you're going to access these things, at some point, it makes a lot more sense to do local resources, what like what Gita is talking about. 
if I can ask, so, so what does this look like for someone who feels like they have some spare compute cycles and they want to donate this to the, to, to the network? What, what's the financial incentive for me to do that? What are security measures put in place so that maybe my own workloads that are only taking up partial utilization on those machines are protected from whatever workload you might put on there? What does all that look like from the, the person that's got the spare capacity and wants to donate it? What's that experience look like? Yes, so it is uh, not going to be donations. So, you know, the people will be earning uh, tokens. Uh, so they'll be, so we have our deep token. So they will be earning points and uh, they'll be making money out of uh, renting their compute resources. So when someone adds a resource, they basically download an agent and install it on their machine. Okay. And uh, Everything that we do is uh, running in Docker uh, sandbox. So application developers, when they run their applications, it is all packaged as a Docker container and it's the Docker container get, that gets deployed on every resource provider's machine. And in addition to the basic security, the sandboxing that comes with Docker, we are also doing an additional layer of hardening on top of the base uh, default Docker that comes out of the box. So we are putting a hardening layer around Docker and we also, because our agent is running on every every resource provider's machine, we are collecting some benchmark statistics from their machines periodically. Uh, this is where what our AI engine uses for matching the resources with the right applications. And we also have the security quarantine mechanism. So if we identify some resource uh, is not behaving properly, let's say it has some, uh, you know, virus or something got detected on that particular machine. So we have the ability to quarantine that resource. And since our whole uh, platform is uh, incentives based, so if someone, if a resource provider's machines are not behaving in the right manner, their points get lost. So in future, our AI matching engine will give them a lower score. So they will make less money on the platform. So there's an inherent incentive in the platform for people to behave correctly and have the right resources on the platform, what they say they are going to share on the platform. Interesting. So if I'm on the consumer end of this and I wanted to consume this, does that imply that all of my workloads need to be containerized in some way that you're not accepting? That's right, yeah. That's what we, that's what we support. Uh, so you have to, so at present we support uh, any public or uh, private Docker repository, so be it Docker Hub, be it Quay.io or any other Docker repo, uh, and we will download. So uh, when you deploy, when someone deploys their application or specifies their job, they have to specify the Docker container the re from the registry, and then we pull that and we deploy that onto the actual resources. Interesting. Now, now again, from the consumer perspective, are all these? So you just use the word job. So does that imply? that these are mostly kind of batch mode kind of things? Or if I wanted to run a continuously executing web app for something, is that going to be an option for me as well? Yes, uh, we, we support both a batch job as well as continuous running jobs. Uh, also jobs which require public ports. So if an application require, is a website, for example, or you know REST API that needs to expose a public port. So both TCP and HTTP ports are supported. We are also automatically uh, setting up all the HTTPS connections because every these days, like all browsers have started giving security warnings if, mm -hmm. uh, if your site is still on HTTP. So we automatically deploy the security certificate 
to make it very sim uh, simple for the application developers to deploy their applications on our platform. And so that implies that you guys, that part of your secret sauce is if I have N Docker setups, that there's there's something that you're doing ab above all those Docker setups to be able to distribute that workload in such a way that you know, if one of the providers suddenly chooses to remove those resources from the network, that those continuously running jobs are HA'd enough that they'll continue to run. Am I, do I have that right? That's right. And that's right. So it will get redeployed on another resource provider machines. And we also provide the ability to, when you launch a particular job, you can say you want uh, this to be running on three instances. So if you say that, then it will automatically, a load balancer will be set up for you and it will be deployed on three resource providers, machines and load balanced across it. And is there some combination of Kubernetes and Istio magic that you're doing for that? Or is this part of your proprietary stuff that you've done? To, uh, to so this that? is our proprietary stuff. Uh, we do have an orchestration layer. So our orchestration engine is uh, doing all this uh, magic of <laughs> managing all the compute resources and making it a single unified fabric. Uh, I've about a thousand more questions, but I don't want to butt in on, on Ali's ability to ask things either. So no, no, it's, a, it's okay, Pete. You can, you can dominate. The one question, the question mark I have in my notes from when I was doing a little research on, on deep cloud AI is what role does blockchain play in it? I feel like I see, I saw a mention of blockchain and I want to understand where, where that becomes important. Yes, so blockchain is used for all the payment transactions and for all the audit trails. So everything that happens on the platform, uh, an audit trail is maintained on the blockchain and all the payments are done on the blockchain. And we have our own token. So when resource providers uh, put up their resources for renting, uh, they have to stake few tokens when they do that. And then they earn money. So we are paying like on a five minute basis and all the payments are compute, computed at the end of the day. So you know, once a day, we are running a payment computation job and immediately transferring the funds from the, uh, the users who are using it to the actual people who are renting their resources. Interesting. This is such a, this is such a cool idea. Um, how mature is this platform? How long have you guys been running this? So we are a startup and we just launched our product. Uh, our platform was uh, launched at the IoT uh, blockchain show in Santa Clara in November. Uh, so we are uh, in uh, signing up users. Uh, we did a hackathon last month in Santa Clara, uh, and, you know, inviting developers and resource providers to join our platform. So right now we are in the early stage of uh, acquiring user uh, consumer base and also we are seeking our next round of funding exciting okay that makes sense to me all right pete i just wanted to get those questions in but back to anything you have that uh you wanted to throw gita's way well i'm wondering about what the uh i'm wondering about what what sort of the discovery part of this process is so a provider has has made some compute resources available as a consumer i then place some workload on that now to take advantage of the low latency because that's close to me, what does, what does the discovery process look like about when, once I say, hey, here's some workload I'd like and what do I have to tell the system about that workload so that it can make a decision as to where that, run, that, that might run so I could take advantage of the low latency? Yeah, so for the IoT low latency applications, you will specify the location. 
so what part of the world where exactly you want that job to be running and we will match uh, the job with that uh, resource providers in that particular area so you you just specifying the location so it's just the geographic it's, so it's like it's like is it like latitude longitude or is i i provide city name or city yeah city name city and country and we will try to match you with the closest ones in that particular region and we are still you know early stages of gathering feedback from our user community so based on the community like if people say that they want more finer granularity on the location we can add lat long support that is not a problem at all okay and then so that so once i place a re, once i place a workload on this this distributed cloud if i now have resources that are on the outside that need to communicate with it how does that happen in a way that i'm not incurring latency with like if, if i have to go find some central dns to discover where it is now versus where it might be an hour from now given that the given that the resource provider could pull that and the thing has to be redistributed so there's also the you know so there's the discovery of where you place the workload and now if i've got something that needs to interact with that workload how do i do that in a way that that doesn't incur its own latency given that that workload that's right yeah so as an application developer you don't have to do anything special it is our platform is taking care of things so we use overlay networking so we we will give you specific uh, network uh, id as well as a port on which your application would be running so because every resource provider will have only one ip address on their machine right uh, so they open up a series of ports if your application is public, we do a mapping through our overlay network and associate that. If the job gets deployed to some other location, we also have a DNS mapping. So through our DNS, so in that case, uh, we okay. will encourage uh, application developers to do a DNS mapping instead of you doing the IP, which is traditionally like what right. is recommended so, so in every cloud, right? So we, we have right. that mechanism already. They can do the DNS mapping, so they just have to do a scene inventory in their DNS provider, and uh, we will automatically move that and do the remapping of it uh, if it gets redeployed. So, so let's so let's let's suppose I deploy a REST API on this, and I have like the front end client that needs to interact with it. It sounds like what I would need to do with my front end client is talk to your DNS server, which in theory I'd have to go to once at the beginning of the session to tell me what the IP address is. And then I go from, then I go to that IP address with, where I get to enjoy the low latency. And should that, should that workload move because of something that happens with the resource provider, I would at some point in the client get a, you know, 404 not found for lack of a better way to describe that. I'd have to go back to the DNS server and find where that got re, where that got redeployed. Is that? Uh, no, right? you you don't you don't have to do so, so many things. So we have simplified things for you. So let's say you have a REST API and it is running on api.peat.com. Okay. Okay. So so that's the URL, and uh, so you can map that to the uh, IP address that we provide. So in our when you deploy your job, you get an option to do a DNS mapping to it. So we will give you a CNAME entry to which you should map api.peat.com in your uh, DNS provider, and you just map it to that CNAME entry. And from your uh, consuming applications, you will always go to api.peat.com. So consuming application will never know whether the IP address got changed or not. So it's just like how all DNS 
entries work you know so that's how like when you deploy anything on amazon cloud for example you'll create a route 53 entry for it and uh, you'll use that instead of giving a hard-coded ip address right but the difference there is if for every api request if i have to go to your dns server which is presumably going to have a longer latency time because it's sitting somewhere centrally does that then defeat the purpose of having the of having the the backend workload run locally if I have to go to that central DNS, which might be several thousand files away anyway. So that that's why I made the comment yeah. about do I use the DNS lookup once and then use the local IP address for subsequent transactions. That's why that's why I, I phrase it like that. Yes. So that you know so hopefully resource providers will not be that flaky and because because of the inherent incentive that we are giving, right? So if the resource provider is going away too fast their points will get lowered. They will incur uh, less revenue, and the AI matching engine will not match them to resources like this. Okay. So, so you know, our AI matching engine is also taking an active uh, role in this. So, if it is a continuous running job, and we see the, we start to see thrashing for certain applications, we will deploy it on a more stable uh, kind of a resource where the score is much higher. So, those things will be taken care of. And uh, our uh, DNS routing engine, it's part of the overlay networking solution. So it's not going to be on just one central hub. It will be distributed as well. Uh, so we have first level of development done for it already. And we will be building and optimizing it for uh, future workloads based on the experiences okay. of the users. OK, that makes sense. I love this. I just love the idea that you're trying to bring better cloud uh, to to areas that maybe don't have access to it, and that kind of everybody using it is benefiting, right? The person who's using selling their excess capacity, the person who's gaining capacity with lower latency. It's that's really exciting, and I think it makes more sense now that I, you know I was reading that that sustainability is something you're really passionate about. And <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so it, because this really is more than just a business, right? This is kind of a mission. It sounds like. But how else? Uh, well, tell me, what is your passion about sustainability all about? That's interesting <laughs> yes. to me. So I'm try I've been trying to do for many years uh, things that are helping the environment. So, for yes. example, I have an electric car. Uh, I was one of the first uh, buyers of Nissan Leaf. Uh, prior to that, uh, my husband and I converted uh, a Hummer to run on vegetable oil. <laughs> you did? So, oh, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have solar panels on our house, uh, so so we are trying to do what we can, our contribution towards a sustainable environment. And I also volunteer at the Clean Tech Open uh, to mentor startups. Uh, and you know, some good startups have come out. So like one of the teams that I mentored, they had started a drone delivery kind of company, but that did not go anywhere. But one of the founders went and joined Udacity and from there went on to build uh, Vonage. So he's one of the co-founders of Vonage. So I was very happy to see that. Uh, so, you know, like I'm trying to do what I can from my side uh, to help better the environment. That is exciting. So first off, I've never heard of Clean Tech Open. Where's that organization and where where would we where would it turn uh, so, up? Yeah, so they they have a big uh, presence in the Bay Area. So uh -huh. every year they host uh, you know Clean Tech Open Accelerator. It's a year long program. Then they also have a global accelerator worldwide uh, where you know companies all across the world participate. 
And so it is companies who are doing either it could be software or any other technology which is uh, helping improve the environment. That's great. And so you mentor, you help mentor those startups. That's right. Wow. Okay. And the other thing is, I just wanted to say that I am so impressed that you managed to get a Hummer running on biodiesel. I had <laughs> at one point gotten gotten far. I was determined to get a, an old Mercedes uh, diesel running on on vegetable oil, and. Uh, Never got that program uh, off the ground, but I probably spent a year on it. It was very exciting. My, my ex-husband was scared I was going to blow our house up. <laughs> Pete, I, I realize I totally derailed your line of technical no, questions. No, it's and okay. I will do this. I will do this, and I will change this in the editing. My, so, my, uh, no, my, my parents had a neighbor that bought like five of those old class Mercedes you're talking about, and like did the same thing. And he would go to like the he would go to the Carl's Jr. across the street and get their excess oil, you know, their excess vegetable oil, and <laughs> That's how that guy got around town. Yeah. And, well, so here, let me swing this. So what you're doing with Deep Cloud, right, it's kind of goes into that same mission. Instead of building new data centers, let's reuse let's reuse spare capacity you have in existing data centers is essentially what you guys That's are right. Uh, on ev in everybody's homes, you know, like we don't use our computers all the time. And even in enterprises, small or medium-sized enterprises, they have they have they they don't have deep pockets like google or amazon cloud so they cannot rent their compute resources when they're not being used so let's say on weekends or at nights and so even they have a way to monetize so we are trying to have a more of a sharing of the wealth across the economy now during during prep you mentioned the the seti at home initiative is was that some of the inspiration for this or like where where did this idea come from yeah so Actually, a few years back, I had organized a through at the Stanford Venture Lab. We do talks every month. So we did a talk on uh, Bitcoin and how the cryptocurrency is the new thing. So this is back in 2013. And I thought that, you know, Bitcoin is making use of compute resources in such a wasteful manner. It's not good for the environment. So instead of doing some arbitrary computation, uh, mathematical calculation for uh, generating coins, we ought to be doing useful work. So the idea has been simmering for a long time, but I never got around to bringing it to fruition before. And this was the opportunity where I finally went ahead and did that. Nice. Fascinating. And the shade that Bitcoin gets usually isn't at, res at resource utilization. So that's that's <laughs> a really interesting perspective. Right, they get shade for all kinds of other reasons, but usually not. Not that usually. So add that to the list. Great. Well, anything else you want to ask, Pete? I know I've gone through my. I've gone no, through this, things that I was most curious no, about. No, this is very. This is very cool stuff. It's it's a very interesting idea. I like the idea of of trying to get this reuse in a way that that tries to bring compute resources to corners of the world where you know the big providers likely aren't going to see the utility in in building their big data centers there. So this is a really cool idea. It is. So so Gita, if folks are listening that are interested in this program, where can they go to get more information? Yes, they should come to our website, uh, deepcloudai.com, and they should come to our Telegram site, t.me, deepcloudai, and uh, you know, contact us, uh, reach out to us. We have invitation uh, so if somebody wants to join they can uh, request to join on the platform right now so it's not uh, fully open to the public yet so there's an invite list so they can join on the invite list and we'll invite them
Great. You heard it, everyone. If you want to share your capacity, if you want to access some capacity, or if you want to be part of the next funding round for Deep Cloud AI, you know where to go. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Gita. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us and, and telling us about this really neat project. Thank you so much for having me, Ali. I really enjoyed our conversation. And thank you very much, Pete. Yeah, thanks. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.